second verse. And Jesus answered, answering saith unto them, Have faith in God, for verily I say unto you, that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed and be cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. Therefore I say unto you, What things Soever ye desire when ye pray, believe that ye receive them, and ye shall have them. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Put your hands together and bless the Lord for his word. Hallelujah.
Father, we come before you this morning with thanksgiving in our hearts, Lord God, that you've allowed us to be here, Lord God, to lift your name up, Lord God. In the name of Jesus this morning, Lord God, we thank you for your mercy, your grace, your love, and your kindness, Lord God, that you've allowed us this opportunity, Lord God, that to lift you up, that you may draw all men unto yourself, Lord God. And we thank you for that, Lord God, in the mighty name of Jesus, Lord. Father, we just ask that you would have your way in this place, Lord God, today. Healing, delivering, and setting people free as we know that you can and you will do, Lord God. In the mighty name of Jesus, Lord God. Those spoken requests, Lord God, that has went before you, Lord. We have this confidence in you that you're at the right hand of the Father. Plead in our case, Jesus. And we thank you for that, Lord God. In the mighty name of Jesus, we just ask that you would just have your way in this place. Bless everyone underneath the sound of my voice, as well as those that are on their way, and as well as those that are listening via internet, Lord God. Bless, heal, and deliver, Lord God. Meet them at the point of their need, as we know that you can and you will do, Lord God. Bless the shepherd of this house, Lord God. And those things, Lord God, that he prays to you about in private, we thank you in advance for rewarding him and those is connected to him, Lord God, openly, Lord God, in the mighty name of Jesus, Lord God. And we just thank you, Lord God, this day as we turn the furthest of this service over into your hands. Help us to do that which you've called us to do this day since the beginning of time. And we'll give your name praise, glory, and the honor in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. At the mention of your name, the scales fall from their eyes. Once blinded eyes will see that you are, you are Lord. Oh, cause at the mention of your name, the scales fall from their eyes. Once blinded eyes will see. You are, you are, Lord. Say, Jesus, you are. Jesus, you are, Lord. Oh, oh. Jesus, you are. Jesus, you are, Lord. Oh, oh. oh. Say, oh, Jesus. Jesus, you are, Lord. Oh, oh, Jesus, you are, Jesus, you are, Lord, oh, oh, somebody call on Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Jesus, somebody call on Jesus. Jesus. 
Jesus, you are Lord. Oh, oh, Jesus, you are Lord. Oh, oh, I can cry out to you. Jesus, you are Lord. Depression 
all you got to remember is to call on the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. It's not always about a fancy prayer or even a scripture. That may leave your mind at the moment you need Jesus. But all you have to do is call on his name. Your situation will change. Depression has to flee. Sickness has to flee. At the name of Jesus. There's power in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. There's not power in my name. There's power in the name of Jesus. You call on his name. And that is where your strength comes from. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, God. You're worthy. Yes, God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We bless your name today, God. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. There's no God like Jehovah. There's no God like Jehovah. Nobody can save you, Jesus. Nobody can heal you. Nobody can free you. Yes, God. Nobody can give you victory. 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 Nobody can give you victory. Victory. Oh. Victory. Keep hearing that in my spirit. Yes, God. It ain't even in the song, but I hear it in my spirit. Say victory. Victory. Oh, oh, oh. 
his call. Lift your voice. There's nobody like Jehovah. No 
keep your sword, sword in your hand. Hey, you fight on, well, you fight on. One of these mornings won't be long. You look for me and I'll be gone. Keep your sword in your hand. Hey, you fight on, oh, you fight on.
This hell fight my battle. 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 This this is my battle. 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 Keep your soul in your head. You gotta keep your soul in your head. You gotta keep your soul in your head. Don't give up now. Soul in your head. I've come too far. Soul in your head. I just can't give up now. Soul in your head. Hey, you follow. Thank you, Jesus. Keep fighting no matter what it looks like. Keep fighting no matter what it looks like. Yes, God, because God's got you. It may look like it's treacherous in the front of you, but God is right there with you. He will help you go through. He will help you get through. Yes, God, keep fighting, keep fighting, keep fighting. Yes, God, thank you, Jesus. Victory in Jesus. Yes, God. Yay! You fight on. Keep your sword in your hand. Yes! Keep your sword in your hand. Yes, God. Don't look to the left. Keep your sword in your hand. Yes, God. It's the word of God. It's the word of God. That's your sword. It's the praise of God. Yes, God, that's your sword. When you pray to him, that's your sword. Keep your sword. Yay. In your hand, you fight on. Oh, you fight on. Yeah. If you haven't had an opportunity to give at this time, it's also a part of worship as well. In your tithe and your offering, you can take this time as the pastor graces the podium to give us the word of God today. Hallelujah. Stretch forth your hand and as we bless the tithe and offering. Father God, we thank you, Lord God, for that which was taken up for the purposes that it was taken up for, Lord God, for the upbuilding of your kingdom. Bless those that had to give and those that didn't have to give, that they may be able to give upon the next appointed time. We thank you and we praise you for this time in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. amen. Hallelujah. Put your hands together. And bless the Lord for the shepherd of this house as he comes forth to feed us the bread of life. Amen.
Praise the Lord. You may be seated. Truly, it is an honor to stand before the people of God, to be used by God to deliver his word, that your lives might be enriched and inspired. Thank the Lord for each of you that has made your way out. It's good to see Janelle in the house. Amen. She braved the icy roads, which is not a Janelle thing. So she drove by faith to get here today, all the way from up north. But we thank the Lord for her and her being here with us, my good brother being here, my friend. And we thank the Lord for him as well. Let's celebrate the praise team. Hallelujah. I think they answered the question that we, we were just talking about. You just got to fight on. Just got to fight on. Hallelujah. We truly uh, are excited about what God is doing. Amen? Amen. Now, there's no denying that we're living in unprecedented times. All of us are aware of the enormous amount of sickness that's in the land and death from the pandemic that we're in, dealing with COVID and um, even varying other diseases that have started to rear their uh, heads. And, and this is not really in the history of humanity, the first pandemic that's hit us. And to be quite honest, it will most likely not be the last. But when you look at the doctors and you look at the nurses and, and you see the news reports, you find that they're overburdened, they're drained physically, mentally, emotionally, relationally from all the death that they've seen. And a lot of the death as the news has uh, indicated in talking with the doctors and the nurses, they believe to be senseless. And it's senseless because there's a cure for which, or not a cure, but a, um, a medicine for which you can take that can stave off death. It may not prevent you catching a, the disease, COVID, but it will um, allow it to become more bearable. And when you talk to people, the mindset of the people, especially when the government gets involved and starts mandating uh, vaccinations, it becomes a thing where people now are challenged and they want to challenge the authority. I don't want someone to tell me what to do. And then there's all the, the crazy uh, thinking that's out there. Um, they're putting trackers in you and you know all kinds of different things that I've heard. I was laughing the other day with a friend of mine, and we were talking about the conspiracy theory that the vaccinations that are going out were just uh, nan nanobots that the government was sticking in people to track their location and to listen to their conversations and to know everything that was going on. And, and we laughed because we said they already did that when they gave you a cell phone. No one had a problem going to buy a cell phone, and when you couldn't buy one, the government said, hey, we will give you one. And, and they gave you one. And, and now, if you're, if you're with a friend and you're just talking about, uh, say, you know, you, you happen to like horses, and you're talking about horses, and all of a sudden in your Facebook feed, you see nothing but horses. You start talking about China and, and, and the, the fine, you know, China that's out there and, you know, the kind of the intricate detail. And all of a sudden, you're getting ads for all these different things. Believe me, 
You think that you're, you're trying to get apps to hide your text message so your girlfriend doesn't know, what, you know who you're texting. Don't worry, the NSA knows. They're already tracking you. They're, they're already doing that. To, 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 think, <laughs> to think that they're not is just silly. This is, this is about challenging authority and being rebellious against authority and, and doing things that, you know, really, at the end of the day, don't make a lot of sense. But with the growth of hospitals and clinics and counseling centers and the increased use of psychiatric drugs comes a stark reality of pain, hurt, and sickness and brokenness in the lives of humans. There is a tremendous amount of brokenness in the lives of humans. Even here in the city of Columbus, we just buried a police officer who uh, struggled with life, and his death is now tragic as a result. Here at GMFC, we know that we send text messages out, and we send messages out on our line app to ask for prayer and to um, you know, let people know that people are struggling with conditions in the body so that everyone can come together because we wage war in prayer. Every week I read through these text messages and these requests and I pray over them myself and my wife joins with me and we pray and I'm often amazed at how many people are in dire need of prayer for physical healing. Yet what we don't really text about every week are those people who need healing in their emotions, who need healing in their circumstances, and need healing in their relationships. They may not have a diagnosed physical ailment for which they can just pop a pill to deal with, but they still feel sick. My wife and I joke all the time when we're getting ready to go to our family doctor, we share the same doctor, and if we say there's something going on, we think there's something going wrong in our body, the joke, the inside joke is, is that when you get there, don't worry, he will have a pill for you to take. You will leave there with a prescription to deal with whatever the condition is you think you have. If I were to tell you that I was sick, your first thought would be that there was something wrong with my body, something physical. But if I was to tell you I was sick and tired, you would know exactly what I was referring to. It's an emotional or a relational type of pain. If truth is told, there are really many more people in this uh, society in which we live, and, and, and even those that are gathered here and gathered through technology that are dealing with emotional and relational hurt more than there are those who are dealing with physical ailments in their body and I say that at a time when there are thousands of people dealing with COVID. But none of us are enjoying a perfect, pain-free life. We're all looking to be made well because of something that is broken within our bodies, within our emotions, within our circumstances, and within our mentalities. We may you know, need to be healed of pain from our past. It might even be anguish in our present. And some of us even need healing from the fear of what the future may hold for us. Whatever the cause of your need of healing, that need runs very deep. I know individuals who have gone to doctors because of ailments or mysterious symptoms, but the doctors 
weren't able to pinpoint the causes. As a matter of fact, I'm a witness to it. My wife and I dealt with this personally with our son Noah. Noah's always taken us through something. I think it was Thanksgiving 2017. We spent the entire week at Children's Hospital because he was losing weight just out of nowhere. He just started losing weight, couldn't eat, couldn't hold food. And the whole week that we were there, they ran every single test. I know because I got the bill that you could imagine. And by the end of the week, they could not figure out or even diagnose the issue. Consequently, these patients were given prescriptions for healing, and even in the prescription being given, their conditions worsened. Now, thanks be to God, that wasn't our testimony for Noah, because we, we laid before the Lord. In his hospital room, we laid before the Lord, and we uh, declared the name of God over his life, and he walked out of there a week later, everything fine, no one having a clue as to what happened. All I know is Jesus stopped by. The name of God that we're going to talk about today focuses specifically on his power to heal. I want you to put this in your mind and think about this. God is still healing his people. The name that God has given us to remind us of his healing capacity is Jehovah Rapha which simply means the Lord who heals. And there's revelation of this strong name, and it comes on the heels of a great miracle. The backdrop is found in the book of Exodus, where we read, Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea. That's Exodus 15 and 22. Now, we know about the Red Sea, or we've heard about it, or think we know about it. And um, I know I'm dating myself, and there are some that may even be older than I am in here but when I think about the Red Sea, I'm taken back to Charlton Heston lifting his rod as he played Moses and the waters parted before him. You know, we're familiar with God's deliverance of Israel from, from the Egyptian bondage and the Egyptian army that was pursuing them after their release. You see, the Israelites had found themselves caught between a rock and a wet place. Pharaoh was on one side coming to re-enslave them, and on the other side stood a very wet and wide body of water. The Israelites couldn't go back, and they certainly couldn't go forward. They were stuck right where they were. Yet seemingly out of nowhere, God performs a miracle. He parts the Red Sea. And it's not even just the parting of the Red Sea that was miraculous. Even in the parting of the Red Sea, did the ground dry up so that the Israelites could pass through to the other side on the very first paved road in Israel's history. Then when the Egyptians came in after them, God closed the walls of water and the Egyptian army drowned. It was a bad day to be an Egyptian captain. No human strategy or intervention could have gotten the Israelites out of the situation that we're in. It took a miracle to pull them out of it. A miracle that every person experienced, every person witnessed, and every person benefited from personally. Just like we should do when God works in our lives, the Israelites broke out into praise and worship following this miraculous intervention 
of God. Exodus 15, 1 through 3 gives us a glimpse into the heart and the emotion of the people. Then Moses and, and the sons of Israel sang this song to the Lord, and they said this, I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The horse and its rider he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My father's God, and I will extol him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Now, the Israelites were on an emotional and spiritual high. They were confident in God because of what he has just demonstrated before them. But when we read that the Israelites went out into the wilderness of Shur in verse 22, having come through the water, they hit dry land. And this dry land was so dry, it was very dry. The wilderness isn't exactly an exciting place to be, but it was the only way to get to where God was taking them. In other words, the only way to get from Egypt, where they had been delivered from, to Canaan, where they were being delivered to, was through the wilderness that they had to travel. Now, there is a key principle that you need to grasp in this journey of Israel. Often, the only way to get from where you are to where you need to go is through the wilderness. Somebody ought to Facebook that. Sometimes the only way to get to your destination is by going through the wilderness. Now, nobody wants to go through the wilderness, but typically there's no other way to get to Canaan. And just like the Israelites, we often have to go through dry places and dry seasons in our life. Unfortunately for the Israelites, their wilderness literally had no water. Scripture tells us that they had no water for three days, and when they eventually found water, that water was undrinkable. Let's go to the text. And they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to uh, Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. That's verses 22 and 23. Now, the human body can sustain itself only so long without water. Three days earlier, they stood in desperate need of a miracle at the edge of a large body of water with Pharaoh and his army coming after them. Now they stand in desperate need of a miracle at a small body of water that was too bitter to drink. They had finally come upon some water only to find it was not able to meet their need. So they faced a physical need for healing and a physical need for refreshment, and their hopes had, been probably, take, had probably taken a hit after uh, seeing the water in the distance, but the, coming to the discovery that that water was undrinkable. So the Israelites did what you know we do normally when things don't work out the way we want them to do. They complained. I know nobody in here complains ever, but this is for the other people that complain. Three days after their great praise and their great worship and their wonderful festival to God, they moved from thanksgiving to grumbling. The miracle at the Red Sea and the problem at Mara dealt with the same thing, water. The Israelites had come through water only to run out of water. 
They had seen that God could do miracles with water, but now they weren't so sure. Their dilemma resulted in a complaint session because their water problem had no visible solution. It didn't take long for them to forget what God had done. It didn't take long for them to get what God can do. Amen. The Israelite situation at Mara teaches us an important principle that we need to remember when we're facing a problem. God has a purpose for your pain. Somebody ought to tweet that. God has a purpose for your pain. He had a reason for allowing the Israelites to go through this very difficult scenario. Verse 25 tells us that he used it as a test. There he made for them a statute and regulation, and there he tested them. In other words, water wasn't the problem. Water was the test. When I was in school, my teachers tested me on, uh, you know, things that I was supposed to know. That's the only thing that they tested me on. They tested me on things for which they filled my mind with knowledge prior to the test. I don't remember a teacher testing me on subjects that hadn't yet been taught. In fact, no good teacher would test a student on material that he or she had not yet uh, covered in, in their class. You see, a test reveals whether the student is paying attention when the information is being delivered and understands the information which had been disseminated. Now, the information that God had given to the Israelites three days before Mara was that he was bigger than water. He was more powerful than water. He was greater than water. He could intervene in their water problem in a way that they could not anticipate or even predict. And three days after God teaches them this lesson on water, he tested them on water. It was the great Israel water test. God led Moses, and Moses had taken the Israelites straight into their test. He hadn't led them outside of God's will, and this is an important note for us to remember. Moses led the people within the will of God. So you could be in a dry land situation even while being at the same time in the will of God for your life. You could be in God's will and be unemployed. You could be in God's will and not experience perfect physical health. You could be in God's will and still have relational difficulties. You could be in God's will and still run into a dry spell, just as the Israelites had done. God often uses situations as he administers his test. And this is because tests or what the Bible refers to as trials are designed to do two things. They demonstrate whether you've been paying attention to the lessons that you've already been taught. And then they give God opportunities to reveal something new to you about himself which develops your character and strengthens your faith. The story is told of a young boy who discovers a cocoon in his backyard tree. He studies the, co the cocoon uh, carefully looking for signs of life that might come from it. And at last, several days later, uh, this young boy sees, that he had, uh, been w sees what he had been waiting for. The cocoon opens and inside the 
filmy shell, a newly formed butterfly is struggling to get out. So this boy is filled with compassion for the tiny creature, and the boy uses his pocket knife to enlarge the hole. Exhausted, the butterfly tumbles out and lays there, but the boy didn't realize that the struggle to escape was designed to strengthen the butterfly's muscles to prepare the butterfly for flight. So with his act of compassion, this young boy inadvertently crippled and ultimately doomed the butterfly from reaching its potential. The night before Jesus was crucified, he prayed to his father, asking him not to take us out of the world, but to keep us safe in the world. The goal that Jesus realized wasn't to steer around difficulty, but to navigate safely through it. That concept troubles most of us. We seem to think that Christianity is designed to be a lifetime of smooth sailing, but I'm here to tell you that that's not true. Imagine a basketball player stumbling to the sidelines and saying, well, coach, I I, I would have scored, but every time I went up to make a shot, some guy from the other team would put his hands in my face, the nerve of him. It doesn't take a veteran coach to arrive to an answer. The guy from the other team is supposed to have his hand in your face. That's the way the game is played. It's his job to do everything he can do to prevent you from succeeding. Now, in basketball, as in life, obstacles are inevitable. Letting patience have its perfect work means that we don't lay down our pencils halfway through the test. Even if you answer each question correctly, quitting halfway limits your score to an F. Pastor uh, Keith told us uh, a few years ago, too many of us are grading ourselves with, with A's when God is grading us with F's. Working through our tests from beginning to end is much easier when we understand that God has a purpose for our problem. As with the butterfly in the cocoon, reaching our destination isn't the entire goal. The process of getting there is equally important. The struggle builds you to handle the success. Many people are crushed by the success because they could not handle the struggle. You can look at any uh, sports athlete, and many of them, not all of them, but many of them are bankrupt after being multi-multi-millionaires for years because nobody taught them what to do with their prosperity. God understands that the process is as important as the result. Somebody ought to tweet that. The process is as important as the result. The journey through the wilderness is as important as the arrival in the promised land. That's why he sometimes doesn't deliver us from the situations we're begging him to get out of, but allows us to face those situations head on. Now, here's how you know you're failing the test. You begin complaining. 
Complaining is evidence of your failure in your time of travail. The Word of God tells us what, uh, that when the Israelites reached the waters of Mara, they grumbled. They said amen and hallelujah on Sunday at the Red Sea, but they hit rock bottom on Wednesday and began to complain at Mara. Does this remind anyone of anyone in here? God sends tests to see whether you paid attention when he revealed some new information to you when he was revelatory about something that would change your life. He doesn't just take your word for it. Now, every September-ish, I go to the doctor for my annual exam, or at least I'm you know, supposed to. I sit in his office, and he asks me how I'm feeling, and my typical response is, I'm all right. But that's not the end of my appointment. My doctor doesn't take my word for feeling all right. Instead, he checks me out from head to toe. Before I became a police officer, I was required to take a stress test. The technician attached all kinds of wires to my chest and uh, gave me a very restrictive breathing apparatus that I had to wear on my face and uh, sticks me on a treadmill. Next, he makes me, uh, he makes the treadmill go faster and faster, and that wasn't bad enough. He had the nerve to make the thing go up into an incline because he wanted to know what the real condition of my heart was. I wanted to smack him, but I figured that would disqualify me for the test of being a police officer, so I let it go. Before taking that test, though, my heart felt fine. But it might not actually be fine because it feels fine. The doctor can determine the strength of my heart only by measuring it under stress. Sometimes we think we're strong until stress comes and it demonstrates how weak we are. Well, the doctor creates a stressful situation for me. He tests my heart to determine whether the way I feel is really how I am. I could have good feelings but still have a bad ticker. Living the Christian life is no different. You can come to church every week, sing worship songs, memorize Bible verses, serve on a variety of committees, assume that your heart, your faith, and your soul are strong. You can even say, I love you, God. You are so good to me. I follow you to the ends of the world. I'll do whatever it is that you would have me to do. Here I am, Lord. Send me. But God doesn't simply take your word for it. He says, okay, let me test you because he wants what's best for you. He tests us because he's getting us ready to do something amazing in our lives. He tests us by putting us in stressful situations just as he does with the Israelites. He tests us to reveal whether we're truly looking to him as our source or we're looking to any and everything else. I will often hear people declare uh, this myth, and, and I want to defunct this myth today. God will not put more on me than I can bear. In fact, in my own ignorance, I did what so many of us do. I bind, blindly followed those who I expected to know more than me and repeated those things myself. Now, I'm getting ready to challenge your thinking 
and frustrate some sound good stuff, but when you apply it to biblical context you, that you've been taught throughout the years, you'll find something is wrong with this statement. Let, let me debunk, debunk the myth for you right now with a, just a brief glance at the life of Paul in 2 Corinthians 1 and 8. For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure, huh, above strength, insomuch that we despaired even our life. If ever there was a hopeless test, Paul was in it. Paul hadn't done anything to cause it. In fact, he had followed God's leading straight into a place of despair. If you share similar feelings today, then you're in good company because you are where Paul has been. God sometimes allows seemingly hopeless situations in our lives in order to direct our focus to him and reveal the true nature of our faith. We may feel like giving up because no one can fix the situation that we're in. All our human resources have been depleted. But Paul reveals a very key principle in his next statement, 2 Corinthians 1, 9 through 10. But we had the sentence of death in ourselves, in other words, they were ready to give up, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God which raises the dead, Amen. who delivered us from so great a death and doth deliver, in whom we trust that he will yet deliver us. So in order to take Paul deeper in faith, God allowed him in a situation that his resume abilities his connections in the earth could not change. And he did this so that Paul would learn to trust God. Not people, not connections, not places, not things, not systems, but God. You see, God is being mean in these situations, some may say. We may think so when we're going through them, but he's actually trying to take us deeper into revelatory knowledge of him. It's in these hopeless scenarios that we see when we see that there's no way up or no way over or no way out, but God somehow raises the dead. This becomes real to us at a level that we never knew him before. You see, at the Red Sea, the Israelites apparently hadn't learned that God is greater than water, so God decided to teach them again at Marah. He read, or we read in, in the Bible that after Moses cried out to God on behalf of the grumbling folk, Exodus 15 and 25, the Lord showed him a tree, and he threw it into the waters, and the waters became sweet. So now, tossing a tree into polluted water is most definitely an unorthodox way to purify the water. But then again, raising a staff is a very unnatural way to part a body of water. But through this second miracle, God revealed once again that he is more powerful than anything the Israelites could or would ever face. 
Now, after the second miracle in just three days, God discloses to the Israelites the meaning behind the test. He gives them a deeper glimpse into who he is. And once he got their undivided attention, and oftentimes we go through some things because God is just trying to get your attention. We're busy trying to figure things out and strategize things and and, and get systems in place and set things up. And and God the whole time is saying, but, uh, 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 okay, I'll wait. And we're busy, we're, we're oh, and just, I'm praying, and, 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 and God goes to answer the prayer, and as soon as you get done talking, you get up, and you go about doing what, you know, and God's like, wait, wait, I, 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 I want to tell you something. But, but that's what we say. I'm too busy doing your work. I'm too busy fulfilling what you called me to do. And God is like, but, but how can you fulfill something for which I have not given you the strategy to fulfill? Because you won't sit still enough to listen to the instructions that I'm trying to give you. Yeah. Okay, we'll do it another way. Let me get your attention first. This is common in our culture with our children. Sometimes you have to get their attention first. Got to get their attention. Amen. They won't hear you if you do not have their attention. Mm-hmm. But let me, let, me, let me touch on this backdrop. Exodus 15, 25 through 26. There he made for them a statue and regulation, and there he tested them, and he said... If you will give earnest heed to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I have put on the Egyptians, for I, the Lord Jehovah, am your healer, Rapha. Now, God uses water to teach the Israelites a lesson about his name, Jehovah Rapha. You see, the Israelites couldn't drink the water because it was bitter. And the bitterness was an indication that something much worse would come from drinking it because the water was polluted. And if it was polluted, it would bring disease because it was bacterially infested, making it undrinkable. Living in America, we sometimes forget how important clean water is to sustaining our health. It's not too long ago that Detroit went through some issues with water. Only recently has it become an issue within our own nation. Uh, Think about the water crisis that occurred in Flint, Michigan. That's not supposed to happen in this country. This is America, but it's still happening. Even more staggering is, according to the United Nations statistics, close to 800 million people still don't have access to clean water each day. The United Nations issued a statement not long ago that more people die annually from polluted water than they do from war. And when a person doesn't live in an area where water purification techniques are in place, any contact with water could bring illness and cause death. What is the one thing people tell you uh, if you visit some places in Mexico? 
don't drink the water. Why? Because it makes most people sick. Matter of fact, they even go further. If the bottle doesn't make noise when you open it, in other words, to show that it's connected, don't drink it. Because too often they take the top off, they fill it with the tap water that they have, put the top back on, and you think you're drinking purified water when it's the very water that's probably going to turn your stomach. Now, at first glance, most of us who reside in America may not see the immediate connection between the name Jehovah Rapha and the Israelites' test at the bitter waters of Marah. But for those who understand the danger of polluted water, this connection becomes quite clear. And through this connection, God ties the manifestation of his name to ailing all of life under him or aligning all of life under him and his commands. So why does God put all the diseases on the Egyptians while the Israelites were living in their land? Because the Egyptians didn't seek him as the one true God. The Egyptians worship idols. It results in impure hearts. These impure hearts likewise result in the ten plagues, which no doubt brings illness and disease and emotional issues on those that they're affected. Now, at Marah, God was telling the Israelites that they could experience the pain of the unrighteous when they adopt the lifestyle and the mindset of the unrighteous. He reminded them just who was the source of all healing, all provision, and all life. First, through the parting of water, and now through the purification of water. Find in your Bible, 2 Chronicles 12, and you'll find another very important principle. And I'm going to move towards my close today. 2 Chronicles 12, 1 through 2, and it says, And it came to pass when Rehoboam had established the kingdom and had strengthened himself, he forsook the law of the Lord and all Israel with him. And it came to pass that in the fifth year of King Rehoboam, uh, Shishak, king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem because they had transgressed against the Lord. Going down to the seventh uh, and eighth verse, and when the Lord saw that they humbled themselves, the word of the Lord came to Shemaiah saying, they have humbled themselves, therefore I will not destroy them, but I will grant them some deliverance, and my wrath shall not be poured out upon Jerusalem by the hand of Shishak. Nevertheless, they shall be his servants, that they may know my service and the service of the kingdoms of the countries. So it is clear that God recognized they repented here and humbled themselves but he still allowed them to remain in servitude to another nation. In other words, if you don't want to serve me, if you think serving me is hard, I'm going to let you experience what it is like to be in servitude to man. Now, some of us are in that very position right now. God has spared us destruction, but he's allowing us to be in servitude to some of the things we'd rather be free of. And this is to discipline us into walking after his statutes. His grace spared us and his love has chastised us, but all of it for our good. 
Now, before I, I, I finish here, I want to emphasize that the name Jehovah Rapha is not a guarantee that no one will ever get sick. If that were the case, pure-hearted followers of Jesus Christ would never die, and that's not what this name is referring to. The Bible almost always ties healing to the sin that caused the problem. We see this connection in various passages. Psalm 103, 2 through 3, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits, who pardons all your iniquities, watch this, who heals all your diseases. Isaiah 1, 5, and 6, where will ye be stricken again as ye continue in your rebellion? The whole head is sick and the whole heart is faint. Is any among you sick? Then he must call for the elders of the church and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up and if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. So sometimes people get sick simply because of old age or because of pollutants in the air or because of the things that they eat or because the, the environment is not what it should be at this time. But that isn't the situation that God is speaking of when he's revealing himself as Jehovah Rapha. He's talking about the diseases he himself put on the Egyptians because the Egyptians were in rebellion against him. Now you won't have to face those diseases when your heart is aligned under him and his way. So what God is saying in my own commentary, let's turn to uh, the book of Jesse, the 17th chapter and the 23rd verse, the book of Jesse, 17th chapter and the 23rd verse, and it says, this is what I am teaching you in Mara. If you will but follow my instructions, I will heal your bodies, emotions, relationships, circumstances. But if you choose to walk the way the rest of the world walks, you will not be immune from the world's diseases. As a matter of fact, I will leave you exposed. Hallelujah. So the Israelites needed protection from the disease-carrying bitter waters of Mara. So God provides a tree to make the water sweet. Perhaps today you're facing bitterness of a different sort. But God can make even the bitter sweet when you align your life under him. Amen. During the Passover Seder, we eat bitter herbs that are made sweet by maror. Now think about that experience and understand that even the bitter things in your life, Jehovah Rapha can make sweet. When you pick up the tree, even though that seems odd and it seems unconventional and it seems a little bit crazy, but you toss it in those bitter waters, the healing will come. In other words, it will come when you do the thing God has instructed you to do, not because it makes any sense at all, but because it doesn't have to make sense. After all, God is God. We keep waiting for God to give us instructions that we can agree with. We, we, we keep waiting for God to really tell us what we already thought. You know the plan that we came up with? We just want God to tell us to co-sign our plan. This is the way 
I see it. And because I see it this way, I just want God to co-sign it and say, yep, you, you on the boulevard. Man, you are so wise. There is none like you in all the earth. You are wiser than my son Solomon. Matter of fact, let me just step back and let you handle it because there's nothing more I can say to you. You know it all. I constantly lay before the Lord and I remind myself and him, I don't know nothing. As smart as I may think I am, I know I'm stupid when it comes to the things of God. But God, when I, when I come into the church and I kneel and pray before I take my seat, what I'm asking God in that moment is, Father, speak through me your wisdom so that I don't drive these people off a cliff. Because if I come up with something to lead you, we're probably going to be in a lot of trouble. Probably going to be in a lot of trouble. Last night, I had to ask the Lord several times, Father, guide me so that I don't choke these people out. As I was working special, and you know, drunk people, they act peculiar. And and they, they will challenge you. And it was nothing but the grace of God. They don't even know it, but the grace of God. And then my mind thinks back to things, and I have to ask the Lord, Lord, redirect my thoughts. Amen. Because I don't want to be on Channel 6. I don't want to give my brother something negative to have to do concerning me. Amen? Amen. But too often we keep, we keep telling God that we've got it figured out. And God is saying, look, I, I brought you to this so that you'll understand Not only can you not figure it out, I never intended for you to figure it out. My intention was always to show you something about me. Because I want to be in relationship with you. What do you do when you're in relationship with people? You talk to them. Why? so that you get to know them. God allows us to go through things because he wants you to know him. You you all know, you know, the issue that happened with, with Noah and the motorcycle. Hardest telephone call I ever got. Hardest call I ever got. My wife and I are driving. She, I'm getting ready to take her to Walgreens so she can get her booster shot. You know, to get all the, the nanobots put in her body so the government can know where she's at. <laughs> and my phone rings. And I answer the phone, and it's a doctor. He's frantic. I can barely understand him. He had a heavy accent. I could barely understand what he was saying. But I got emergency surgery. Your son, Noah, if we don't do this now, he will die. Craziest phone call ever. And now, like, part of me is like, wait, wait, wait a second. I'm the, I'm the bishop. This, this, no, this ain't, nah. I, I pray over my son. This has got to be, he, he, yeah, he ain't, nah. 
And of course, I respond, do what you have to do. We're on our way. And now, and, and, and you can ask my wife. You can ask First Lady. We were on the way to Walgreens. And, and this is just the way I think. He's in surgery. So I said, honey, let's just go to Walgreens so you can still get your shot. Because I know Noah's is, is, in the, is in the hands of God. So we can take it. Because I, I knew that later on we probably wouldn't be able to go and then she wouldn't get her booster and, you know, there would be that potential and all that kind of stuff. But I trusted God in that moment, though my human condition was shook that I got the call. Because I knew there was nothing I could do to help him. The only thing I knew to do was to pray. So I prayed, and my wife looked at me like I was crazy, and she said, no, we're going to the hospital. So they're off to the hospital we went. And we get in there, and, and by the time we get there, and, and they got us in the waiting room, we're in the waiting room for a while, and um, you know, people are coming in, and you know, it's in those moments when you don't know what's going to happen. The last thing you heard could die. This is your baby boy, and, and you're trying to fight your human condition while at the same time have faith in your spiritual bond with God. And your, your physical condition is saying there's no way he comes back from this, while your spiritual condition is saying, is anything too hard for God? Your physical condition is saying all these things that could happen or could be the result, even if he survives, he could be a vegetable, even uh, if he survives, he, he may not have the full operation of his limbs, even if he survives, he may not be the same person. The and, and why are you saying this? Because all the doctors and the nurses are coming in and they're giving you every potential outcome. Sometimes I wish the doctors wouldn't tell you nothing. Because when they're feeding, they're sowing seeds into you of all the negative things that could result. And we just had to keep saying, but God, but God, is anything too hard for God? And we prayed and we stayed in the face of God and, and, and you know, we continue to pray, and, and we've walked this journey out with our son, and, and every day, uh, it, it's been hard. Every day, it's been a challenge, and every day, we've had to turn to God to give us the strength we needed, and God said, I'm going to give you. I'm going to show you in your weakness my strength, Amen. Amen. Yep. and he's ordered our steps, and we've walked in those steps, and, you know, February 15th, we, we got to go back to the hospital so that they could take his skull and put it back on his head, which is just crazy in, in and of itself. And of course, Noah asked me, well, how do they know it's my skull? What if they try to put the wrong skull on my head? I said, don't worry about it, son. If it's the wrong one, they'll just wedge it in there. It'll be a little bit better for you. It may even be thicker. And he kind of looked at me. Really? Yup. That's what they do. You got, it's the luck of the draw. <laughs> and, 
And I still know that there are other things that we have to endure as we continue to move forward through this. There are some realities that, that he is now coming, you know, uh, to understand the changes that this has in his life. And even the, the plan that he had for himself has to change. But God. But God. But God. God's plan never changed. Even with everything that we're going through and dealing with, the plan of God has never changed. God has never been out of beat. God didn't go, oh, well, I guess we can't do that now. A hundred folk may leave. I guess we can't do that now. That's, 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 not, that's not what God, that's not, that. God, he, for God, the end is known from the beginning. We don't know, but God knows. Amen? And we go through this journey with him so that he can teach us more about himself, so that as we learn more, we become more confident, and when the next circumstance arises, we can, it's good, God got it. And then we get dangerous, because then we start believing that the very thing God has commissioned us to do, we can do. We have a new expectant mother here. One of, the, one of the challenges to being a mother and the questions that most young mothers ask themselves is, am I going to be a good mom? Do I have what it takes to be a good mom? And the father typically asks the same question. Do I have what it takes to be a good dad? Can, can, I, can I be a good dad? The answer to that question is, with God, all things are possible if you believe. So you can be a good mom if you believe and walk with God. You'll be the best mom that your child could have ever had and no woman could ever have been a better mother than you. Period. Period. Even your mom couldn't be a better mother than you. She can be a better grandmother, but she can't nana. But she can't be a better mother to your child. She's an awesome mother to you, but God created you to be an awesome mother to your child. That was the plan that he had for you. I like Bob. Bob, Bob helps me preach. When Bree doesn't come to church, Bob backs me up. Amen. Bree, I miss you today. But everything that, we, that we're going through, God has already orchestrated our steps. And our confidence has to be in him. He is our healer. He will deliver us when we're in that 
rock, and a wet place. Doesn't matter what he has to do. As a matter of fact, he's so amazing that he does what only he can do. It's just that simple. See, the things of God are not difficult. They don't require higher levels of education. The things of God are simple. He made them simple. And not only did he make them simple, but he said he would reveal them to you. And he reveals them in the context that you can understand them. He doesn't do things just because he has compassion for you or just because he loves you. Just like the little boy who wanted to help the butterfly fly, not realizing it was the struggle of getting out of the cocoon that would allow that butterfly to take flight. Amen. That's right. If you don't endure some things, it becomes difficult for you to handle the things that God has for you. You're going to have people turn their back on you. You're going to have people run out on you. You're going to have people not believe in you. As long as you keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, the orchestrator of your faith, the one that is and was and is to come, in every crisis that you face, in every circumstance that presents itself, and you declare, is anything, too hard for my God. I know Haley's going through. Is anything too hard for my God? Anything too hard. I know that the healing process sometimes changes what our expectation is of our future prognosis. But is anything too hard? For God, has God ever done something that is different than what the prognosis or the expectation because of the attack? Consistently, God is a showy God. He likes to. He likes to. When we're in the place where it seems like nothing else is going to work, and He says, "Ha ha, here I am." Here I've come to save the day. I know I dated myself, but Mighty Mouse was the best superhero. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus and everything that you face, and you will realize the name Jehovah Rapha and what it truly means, God's ability to heal you in every circumstance that you face. Let's look to the Lord. Father, Lord, we thank you for today. We thank you for your grace and your truth, for your love, for your protection, for your healing. We thank you for your favor. We thank you for sending your son that he would die on a cross for us, that we might today declare ourselves the redeemed of the Lord. For I am no longer a sinner. I've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. I've been made whole and righteous. 
our salvation is assured in Christ, for he did not just die and remain in a grave, but he arose again. And likewise, I shall too meet my Lord in the air, whether it be from the grave of the earth or from this earthen condition of life, I will be forever with the Lord. Knowing this gives me peace, that no matter what I face, my being with the Lord is not something to come, but it is something that is. For my God is not something that will come, he is something that is. That means that all things that are in him are in him all at the same time. So my being with him is not something for tomorrow, it is something for right now. And knowing that he is with me, I know that he will keep me. He will place his loving arms around me, and even in the darkest moments, when the attack of the enemy is at its height, he will pull me under his wing. He will bring me into the secret place of the Most High under the shadow of the Almighty. He will bless me. He will wash me. He will regenerate me. It is his life that flows through my body. And I say thank you. It is by grace that I am saved. Not by any act of my own. But Jesus found me. He found you. He delivered you and did what you could not do. Not to kill you, but that you might have abundant life. So by faith, I thank you that I'll pass every test. I thank you that every circumstance that rises up in our lives, that we will recognize it for what it is. And we will look to the author and finisher of our faith, which is Jesus. And we will do and command, even as your word declares, binding those things in the earth that they would be bound in heaven and loosing those things in the earth that they might be loosed in heaven to fulfill your will in and through us. Father, let your light so shine through us that the world will come to know you are still here. You have not forsaken us, but you are right here with us. Let us decrease that you might increase in us. I don't know what holds my tomorrow, but I do know my tomorrow is held by you. And in that, I am confident that everything's going to be okay tomorrow. Everything is going to be okay. I say thank you, my God, my keeper. For all the things that are yet to be done, Father, we ask for your wisdom and your direction. In whatever respective place you have called us, whatever task you've given us, whatever our function may be, our destiny may be, Father, continue to develop us that we might do so and do it well, that you would get the glory from it. Father, Lord, we thank you for the opportunities that are yet to come to declare your word of truth and to share your love. Speak through us every time we open our mouth. Let your word flow from our lips, even when we know not to say, and let thy spirit which is implanted in us speak in your behalf. We thank you now. Take us into the remainder of this week according to your will. Bless us in safety and in care as we travel over the highways and the byways. In the mighty name of Jesus. And the people of God said,
Amen. It is so. God bless you. Fellowship one with another before you leave. Greet your brother and sister in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah.